0: I can tell you how you can keep your systematic reviews organized. Yeah, let's talk about that. File naming conventions! <laughs> All right, so I've been teaching a lot lately and I. I kind of had this epiphany when I was coming home today on my drive home, which was that it's really no wonder that that people end up as practicing clinicians without, without ideas about how to do evidence synthesis, and it's because the people who taught them were wrong, right? Like, in their college classes and undergrad and grad, you have professors assigning systematic reviews in a semester, and I had written this... Covenants post a couple years ago where I said that's not a great idea because they take on average a year or more and they take a team because they're supposed to be unbiased. But you still have professors who are assigning systematic reviews in a semester and then the students are doing them alone and so it's not truly a systematic review. And then you have professors who are assigning like parts of the Prisma as part of the classwork, without really understanding what the PRISMA is or does or what kind of methodology it
1: supports. And so that's what I've been thinking. Hold up. So they're assigning PRISMA as its own thing, like for them to fill out even before they do a systematic review, because you can't do PRISMA until it's done.
0: Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah, so I don't want to go into too many details because I like the professors, but fair. so the one professor was having their class fill out the Prisma Flow Diagram, but not having them do a comprehensive search. All librarians know what a berry picking search is, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Cherry picking. Cherry
1: picking, picking. yeah. (laughs) Berries, cherries, it's all the same thing. So the students were blueberry picking
0: (laughs) their articles and then having to fill out a PRISMA diagram. And I could see that they were angry and frustrated. And I thought, this doesn't support this methodology. You can't fill out a PRISMA flow diagram if you aren't doing, number one, a comprehensive search, and number two, screening. So it won't work. It just doesn't work. And so it leaves me feeling... Frustrated, and then I say, no wonder they get to be, uh, you know, in practice, and then not understanding exactly what a systematic review
1: is because they've been taught wrong at every step of the way. Right. So they're basically applying systematic review methodologies and reporting, because that's what PRISMA is—is is the reporting checklist to essentially narrative reviews.
0: Right. And then the students are frustrated and lost. And I think yeah. back to my Covidence blog post where I say, sure, do a systematized review. That's in Granton Booth's article from 2009 where they talk about typology of reviews and they talk about a systematized review mm-hmm. as a review for students. Um, do a narrative re- review or any mm-hmm. other kind of a review, but don't try to tell your students to do a systematic review for the semester and pretend that you're doing it right because I'm sure that you're not.
1: Yeah, it's really frustrating because it's just, it's perpetuating all the errors because of either being taught wrong or wrongly interpreting what they are taught.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, and it's not anybody's fault because this goes back, it goes back. Mm-hmm further and further and you know it's not the professor's fault they didn't know either and then it made me think about so i have feelings about published systematic reviews as you know i do because i started critiquing them on methods monday <laughs> just getting some methods Mondays.
1: but i was gonna say wait wait is that a new video series that i missed maybe Methods it might Mus- be methods monday to go with five minute fridays
0: Like, so theoretically, let's pretend I'm a leading researcher in my field. And I am aware of all the research that is happening in Australia and in China and in um, European countries and in Russia and in the United States and Canada and South America. I'm aware of all the research that's being done. So I may feel that when I go to write my quote-unquote systematic review, that I don't have to do a very thorough search because I'm so aware of it. I'm the world's leading researcher in this field. But then I was thinking, that's not the methodology. The, the methodology isn't that you feel that you know the, the, the trials that are taking place. The methodology of science is inquiry. And I think that's why I, I continue to feel so strongly about published systematic reviews falling short because we're not just saying, Oh, yeah, we know these exist, and we didn't really look very hard, but these are the ones we used, and here's the synthesis, blah, blah, blah. This should inform policy, patient care, and decision making forever and ever. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't work that way. And I just get so annoyed. Is this a rant? I guess?
1: Yes, but you're not you're not necessarily saying anything inaccurate because this is something we run into all the time, right? I mean, People come to us and say they want to do a systematic review and you tell them what's involved and no, 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 I don't want to do that. I want to do a systematic review. Well, I told you what it takes to do a systematic review. And if you don't want to do that, then you're not going to be doing a systematic review. (laughs) Right. There are other types of reviews that you could potentially do instead. And, you know, there's a lot of people that really what they want to do is either, A scoping review, which has its own set of methodology, or a narrative review, which Mm -hmm. is the cherry-picking, right? They want want a comprehensive search, but then they want to cherry-pick that comprehensive search Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and follow the citation trail or whatever. Or like you said, based on their own understanding of the literature – if they're expert or otherwise, and then call it a systematic review, which is why we see such problematic systematic reviews published in the literature.
0: Yeah. And I I think really the, the method is inquiry. The method isn't just picking what you know to exist. Mm-hmm. And it got me thinking about the students who, you know, of course they don't have the time to screen 500 results. That's not what they should be doing at this point in their learning educational journey, but we have professors who are just completely, well, yeah.
1: Do you think the professors have actually done systematic reviews or are they just teaching systematic reviews based on, well, I don't know what even what it's based on, but just like they've not actually done a systematic review therefore they don't really understand what they are
0: yeah for sure i think they don't they haven't done it so they don't understand it or they've done something like it but not really you know standards mm-hmm. have become more rigorous because what prisma came out in 2009 was updated in t- 2020. 2020 and yeah. really like i don't think it's such a high expectation to expect that reviews that are published now would follow these standards Unfortunately, they don't really at all. And that's the right. fault of, of so many people, the authors, the, their educators, the journal editors, their educators.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then I think we all feel a little bit hopeless as MedLibs and systematic review methodologists that like, it doesn't matter. It's not going to be fixed. And this is just a problem we have to deal with. But we're the ones, you know, that end up doing the searches and people think it takes you like a couple hours. No, it takes you a couple weeks, and there's more involved. There's like, oh, i got to get this peer-reviewed. Oh, there's been a change to the terminology. Oh, you know, we need to look at uh, literature from South America, so we're going to look at the global health, uh, what's it called, virtual health library.
1: Global Index Medicus.
0: Uh, Yeah, Global Index Medicus. So it's not like, oh, snap, I'm done in five minutes. It's like, no, this is what we're spending a lot of us, the bulk of our time on and
1: well and all of us are not just doing one right many of us are doing multiple ones yeah at various stages i mean i i have multiple systematic reviews or other types of reviews going on right now i mean i've gotten like three new ones in just the last week
0: yeah for sure
1: And most of those are not systematic reviews. They were presented as somebody wanting to do a systematic review. But in many cases, they've either been talked down to a scoping review based on their question and and how much they want to cover or Mm -hmm. a narrative review. Or my favorite (laughs) um, recently is somebody who came in with a narrative review already written Mm -hmm. in its final stages. And they're like... Yeah, somebody told us we should make this a systematic review. And you're like, retrospective systematic review. I mean, you can. (laughs) You can take what you've done and make a systematic review out of that. But honestly, why not just go ahead and publish your narrative review Mm -hmm. and then build on that by taking one aspect of it and making Mm -hmm. that a doable systematic review instead of this. Mm Huge body of literature you've already kind of cherry-picked. Right. Blueberry. Blueberry. I (laughs) prefer Blackberry, but, you know, you do you. Well,
0: I can tell you how you can keep your systematic reviews organized.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that. File naming (laughs) conventions. So, how do you track when you have multiple reviews, evidence synthesis projects going on at the same time. How do you track those?
0: Yeah, so I, have, I, I really enjoyed listening to yours and Jen's episode. And when you talked about file naming conventions, well, I, I put everything in a folder with the researcher's last name, and maybe the organization. So maybe two levels, maybe the organization and then the researcher's name and then i name everything the date so today would be 20230913 and then dash protocol dash preliminary search dash final search dash search methods so i don't have like version 1 version 2 version 3 but i, I name it um well i name it the date dash researcher's last name and then what it is so this is the protocol the methods whatever and then when they ask me, usually the date that I named it is the date that I ran it and finalized it. So they Actually, somebody today asked me what was the date of our, of our preliminary search. Not even the final search, but the first one. And I said, actually, it was this day because I have it on my document. So that's worked really well for me because, you know, the date is always going to be unique. Mm-hmm. Um, then then the, the researchers can deal with getting a lot of files that have their last name on it. That's not my problem.
1: How do you stay organized? So I have folders, like you describe, usually with the requester's last name, and then files within that folder are going to be date, last name, hyphen, the topic. Oh. And then... Like dash protocol, dash right, right. preliminary searches, whatever. Right. Yeah, metadata in the file. So similar to what you do, but I usually put something about the subject or the topic of in the file name itself because I'm terrible about remembering names. And so I at least want to have some type of metadata in the title of the of the file. To be able to search based on the topic. Yes. Hmm, That's a great idea. Which makes for long file names. But I would rather have long file names. And then Mm -hmm. usually. What I've. What I've started doing now. Is incorporating OneNote. So I have. Different. Tabs within OneNote. Where I collect these things. And make it easier to kind of track where I am in the process, and then connect to those files within the the folder.
0: Holy wow, that's impressive. Well, I'm still working in a Luddite capacity. Wait, Luddites weren't Luddites.
1: They I were, it yesterday. is kind of a misnomer because, I mean, they weren't completely against technology. They were just warning <laughs> against the, I should, I should not get into this, I don't know enough <laughs> about this topic. But, yeah, but, like, but kind of tracking, like, where I am in the process or all of that, a lot of times I I just have, you know, pieces of paper that's my to-do list that I kind of track where I am in a particular, on a particular project or what I need to do next.
0: That's Oh, that's great! I started off that way, and it wasn't sustainable, so I do mm-hmm. not do that anymore. But
1: yeah, that's what I'm trying yeah. to do with using OneNote is basically just making my pieces of paper electronic. Yeah. All in one place instead of a stack that's on my, pretty great. It's on my like desk.
0: On my Contents. Mm-hmm. your Files. Super.
1: Yeah, and I then I can can connect like the initial email that came through with requests and any follow-up conversations I have and notes I take in consultation meetings or anything like that that's cool Mm -hmm. I
0: recently got a remarkable tablet and I've been using it for work but it doesn't like I'm not to the point where I'm saving it electronically in my files I just use it for meeting notes but it's helpful for me Mm -hmm. um I can always go back and look at the notes if somebody was talking about an intervention or something I didn't understand.
1: It's hard for me to take notes when I am doing the consultation. I mean, I will take notes. Obviously, I have to. But I really wish I should. And it's something I've actually been considering is like when I do a consultation and I meet with him, because almost all of these are done virtually, Right. I've been debating if I should record them so I can go back and take a look at some of the conversation because I feel like there are little bits that happen in those conversations that I don't take notes on. And if I focus too much on the notes, then I'm not taking in what's happening in the moment.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I find my notes to be pretty useful later because I am super forgetful. Anybody who knows me knows... I'm so forgetful, so the only way I really can remember what we talked about is, be- is if I took notes. Mm-hmm. I never understood those people who, like, friends, you know, and I would see them once, and then I'd see them in six months, and they'd be like, how was that thing you did? And I'd be like, what? I don't remember. <laughs>
1: <laughs> how do you was- remember? No. No. <laughs> I-, I don't know if this is function of ADHD or getting older or just not having a good memory in the first place but there are so Mm -hmm. many things that I'm just like oh yeah that happened and if I'm reminded Mm -hmm. I can remember it but if you were just to ask me randomly I'd be like oh I don't know I don't remember Mm -hmm. that at all
0: yeah I don't know what happened yesterday (laughs) I do I taught a lot of classes that's what happened yesterday (laughs) And the day before.
1: The only reason I remember what happened yesterday was yesterday was the day of retractions for me.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to talk about retractions later on, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Sometime. Uh, talking about the systematic review stuff, I have a couple things that I, that kind of came to mind, which was today for the first time, I think, I sent out this write review tool. So somebody wrote oh, to me yeah. said they wanted to do... A systematic review but it was really really broad and they it seemed like it was they wanted to map the evidence it really wasn't um, wasn't something I would have thought of as a, as a scope as a systematic review unless I had more information so I sent them the right review tool and I was like why don't you fill this out and see what it says because I feel that this would really be scoping review and I thought this is such a great tool mm-hmm. um, It it it's a decision tree It's from the researcher named uh, Dr. Andrea Trico, and it asks you some questions, whether it's quantitative or qualitative, whether you're working with RCTs or all data, it asks you a couple of questions, not many though, and by the fifth question, it can suggest a review type for your topic, and I just think it's so phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Have you used it?
1: I've started suggesting it to a few folks and I know we have it as a resource for people to look at as part of our checklist when we get requests we have them fill out kind of this whole checklist to help formulate their question to start thinking about inclusion exclusion criteria the type of review they want to do and in in asking that we kind of break down what types we generally do and have that as a as an option for them to look at in helping That's that decision.
0: Nice. Did you all make that up or is it is it adapted from somewhere?
1: The checklist? Yeah. I believe it was developed internally. I don't know if they had previously asked other people outside of the organization for you know, suggestions or anything like that. Um, and the, we recently did a revision of it in that we kind of revisited it and reorganized it, added a few things, took some things out. Um, mm-hmm. That's useful. Yeah,
0: we have a form now where I work, and I'm also at the point where I really... I'm... Yeah, this is
1: basically a fillable form kind of thing.
0: I didn't used to require... But we
1: call it a checklist.
0: Well, that's good. It's helpful. I didn't used mm-hmm. to require people to give me a protocol, you know? And mm-hmm. I'm really at that point now where I'm thinking, if you don't have your protocol, you're not ready to do this, and I can't help you. So I'm really trying, but I keep forgetting to ask for the protocol because I'm so used to working without it. Uh, but it it's so necessary. It really is.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the things in, in our checklist form is talking about the protocol and asking if they have one. And if they don't, if, they're, if they need our assistance in developing that protocol, whether it's figuring out which protocol format to mm-hmm. use for scoping or mm-hmm, systematic review, mm-hmm. registering it, all of that.
0: Yeah, I've mentioned recently to some people I work with um, I can't register this for you. You need to do that yourself. I feel like it's a critical step mm-hmm. for them to take to understand yeah. what's happening. But also, it's not really within our scope. But yeah, we can tell you where to register it, and we can show you what it's supposed mm-hmm. to look like because, believe it or not, there are templates out there for these. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's good. Um, another thing that happens sometimes is that... that the researcher will write to me, and they say they're doing this, and then they cite a, an article that they really had nothing to do with, they just found it on PubMed or whatever, and they say, basically, we're going to do this, update this, and I look at the search, and the search to use like, oh, intervention, uh, public health, um, therapy, and I'm like, no, I'm pretty dense about pushing back, like I will push back without realizing that I'm being difficult, and I'll say, oh, sorry, this search isn't going to work. We're going to have to start from scratch. But I think that happens to all of us, too. Has that happened to you?
1: Being presented with a search and having to redo it?
0: Just saying that they want to base their work on that. And you're like, well, that's great. We can can base our work on that, but the search isn't going to look like this at all because this isn't actually a search.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's like I see that more as a suggestion as an example Mm -hmm. rather than something we're actually going to base it off Mm -hmm. of i mean we can make you know we can do a review that is similar to this Mm -hmm. but it's going to be better methodology because i'm going to force you to do the right methodology for it we can i can do a better search (laughs) yeah
0: yeah and then um
1: I feel like even the worst searches that some librarians who work predominantly in this area, like, they're most half-assed, I have a migraine and multitasking, but I'm doing the search anyway. Mm-hmm. Searches are still better than a lot of published searches. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I recently did a video on... Uh, people who say they used mesh but then they didn't search any of the databases that actually take mesh and they didn't actually look up mesh so they didn't use mesh and I'm like do you know what this is cuz I don't think you know what this is yeah uh, so that's that happens that still happens which is really disappointing
1: I remember seeing seeing a review not too long ago that said they used mesh in Embase and I was like
0: no you didn't did you
1: <laughs> did you Or did you just use indexing terms in Embase, which are actually from imagery? Yep,
0: exactly. And I saw that uh, earlier this week. It was actually only one, one database was searched. It was Scopus. It wasn't a systematic review, so I'll give them that. But they said they used MeSH terms. And actually, most of their terms were MeSH terms. Some were not. But they were searched in Scopus with title abstract keyword. So I was like, you did not actually use mesh terms, and you didn't even search with
1: index terms. (gasps) You use terms that coincidentally are the same as mesh terms. But may have
0: been adapted from mesh. It looks like they knew that much because some of them Mm -hmm. are pretty unique. And I'm like, okay, you adapted it from mesh, but these still aren't mesh terms. So a lot of it's a language thing. So I I try not to be too harsh on... uh, language, but really, like, some of this just needs a little bit of clarity, like, especially uh, the one about reporting with PRISMA. So reporting is right, and I, I would say you can say that you uh, your, your systematic review was led by PRISMA. That's fine. I just want you to know what PRISMA is. That's all. I'm only asking you to know what PRISMA is, and I don't have the time for this. I don't think a lot of us do, but if... Uh, All these reviews that say they used Prisma, I bet if we sat down with that 27-item checklist and checked if they actually did follow Prisma at all, I wonder what that percentage would be. Very low, I'm guessing.
1: I wonder if there is sometimes a misunderstanding between the Prisma flowchart and the Mm. Prisma checklist. You know, that hadn't occurred to me. In that they did Prisma, yeah, you know, they conducted it according to Prisma, which means they showed their work in the Prisma flowchart. Mm-hmm. They show the work they conducted mm-hmm. of doing the search in the Prisma flowchart, but they didn't actually do anything beyond mm-hmm.
0: that. I think you're right. I think that makes a lot of sense because people tend to know what the Prisma flow diagram is, but they may not know what the rest of the pieces of the PRISMA are. And I'll just note for all of Mm -hmm. our five listeners that um, in addition to the main... (laughs) Including (laughs) including us. us, Yeah. In in, in addition to the main PRISMA checklist, there's extensions, which are amazing and wonderful. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like, oh, I'm a real rule follower. These rules must be followed. It's not rules so much as just a standardized way of reporting your... Your method and the idea that the method should be somewhat rigorous according to some other guidance because Prisma doesn't tell you how to how to conduct but yeah I mean it's it's a really great resource for people if they would just read it if they would just read it
1: and understand how it should be used well yeah and the checklist itself is literally a checklist of in your paper do you note these things do you note that you have inclusion exclusion criteria and what mm-hmm. that is do you note that you did a comprehensive search and where you searched and all of that if so what lines did you do that mm-hmm. on that's what Wait, the, where 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 is where is it's, that it's, search yeah where where is where is this in your manuscript? Right. Show your work.
0: Right. And I get that there are authors out here who say, we know this field so well. So we already think we know all of the research that's happening in this field. But there may be that new study or that small study happening mm-hmm. in another country that still has value and could still inform the synthesis or the meta-analysis and and also, that's just not science, isn't that? You feel like you know. Science is inquiry-based. Yeah, so I'll, I I think I will have a methods Monday. Not every Monday, but. And I ha- I have mixed feelings on, that. But I'm trying to be like really, objective and and also kind, and saying when people do things right. And not just when they do things wrong, but unfortunately, as we know that the the majority of them are not missing are missing lots of the marks for reproducibility
1: or even just figuring out what they did i mean not even trying to reproduce but just figuring out what they did right like the transparency it really is retrospective sometimes what did you do do you know what you did if you know what you did can you explain what you did and they can't because
0: it's a retrospective systematic review. That's a joke. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> oh, one thing I've been seeing lately is and this happened when I was asked to be when I was asked to be a peer reviewer for a systematic review. And I looked at it and you know, I don't I don't often know what comes after the search. That's really up to the team. They should know, they should look it up, they should read it. But I do know that critical appraisal is necessary and mandatory. So risk of bias, critical appraisal. And so this particular review didn't have that. So I was like, uh, yeah, I, don't, I really don't think this is a systematic review. It would need to have critical appraisal or risk of bias. And yeah, so I, I said, revisions. Uh, but I'm seeing that a lot. They even get published where there's no critical appraisal step. And I'm like, oh, oh no.
1: Hmm. And that's fine. If you don't have the time or the know-how or want to put in the effort of doing critical appraisal and risk of bias and all of those things, don't do a systematic review. There are other types of reviews that don't require mm-hmm. that methodology. For
0: scoping, it's not required, although it nope. is an option. And for the others, it's, mm-hmm. it's not required. Mm-mm. So Tracy kindly got on this call with me at spur of the moment with no idea what we were going to be talking about. (laughs) Just that Carrie had a lot of things to say.
1: She's deep in her feelings.
0: (laughs) I just, I I mean, I look at, I face down 11 years of doing what I've, I've done, what I do, and then look at the many more years to come of teaching students. Things that I know about literature searching and evidence synthesis, and I say to myself, No wonder there's just a big problem because there is a big problem. I don't know how to fix it.
1: AI is only going to make it worse, (laughs) right? Exactly. And you know, I mean, either because AI is going to help with the whole process of doing a systematic review. I don't want to keep saying systematic review. Doing the process of evidence synthesis work. Mm-hmm. But it's also going to be a tool that will be easily misused to cut corners yeah. or to compensate for things that it's not meant to compensate mm-hmm. for.
0: This person, I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to highlight the person, but it's really the the thought so he is a prolific Twitterer. I guess we say Xer now. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and he had a whole tweet thread about how to get AI to do your systematic review for him. And he was just slaughtered by librarians across the world. And I get his point. Like, yeah, there are some, some aids there. There's automation that can be extremely helpful. But you have to understand why you're using it how you're using it and and what it means for your work <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. and i think i think in some ways a lot of people may see that pushback from librarians as sour grapes or gatekeeping. as gatekeeping yeah or going back to the the mention of luddites that librarians just don't want to embrace the new technology my dude, I would love to use AI to streamline my work. My problem is that I don't know that AI is appropriate for a lot of the things that I do. And I have questions about when it's used, how do I know it's being used appropriately? How do I know that it is not adding additional biases or unintentional consequences in what, what it's doing that will undermine the work that I'm trying to mm-hmm. do. Right. I think there's a lot of opportunities for us to use AI and embrace it. But I don't think... I don't think it's ready for how people want it to be used or assume it should be right. used. It gets
0: so very little right. It seems, you know, if it can't do the most basic mm-hmm. thing, how's it going to do your review for you? Right. This made me think about, and I'm not going to name names just by practice, but or just on practice, but there's a group at Bond University in Australia doing... Uh, the 2-Week SR, and they they help run SR Accelerator, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, anybody um, who wants to leave a comment for us. But they are working with automation tools that really can help you, and they understand the systematic review methodology. So I I have a confession to make, which is when I first learned of 2-Week SR, and the Twitter handle was 2-Week SR, I thought, I'm not following them. You can't do a systematic review in two weeks. This was years ago and i've come to know the people there and i've come to use their tools and i see okay they do really understand what's involved these tools work well um, with caveats right you have to know what you're doing already you have to have read the guidance um so it is a great tool that involves automation i don't know about ai but definitely automation i'm sure ai anyway so i i want to have an open mind about ai i think there's people doing the right things but they have to know the method. You have to know the method.
1: And I think you have to know more than just the methods, too. You have to know the nuances of what happens. The 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 ripple effects of when you do one thing versus another. For example, with searches, when you use title abstract as a field code versus keyword versus text word like every database does something a little bit Mm -hmm. different right and understanding those nuances can ai understand those maybe (laughs) i don't think it can yet but you know i do think there's a real place i don't think ai should be developing searches no way i don't think it's there yet no i asked it i do think there's a place for ai to take searches and do comparisons and text mining and algorithmic magic for lack of a better description Mm -hmm. and apply peer review to a search to see if it's really capturing the literature you want it to capture Mm -hmm by doing faster screening and that type of thing. But I don't think it's getting used in that way. No, absolutely not. Instead, they're like, no, I, AI can, you know, chat GPT can come up with a PubMed search. Sure, it can. Doesn't mean it's no, a good PubMed I, search or even if it is an accurate PubMed search because, you know, there's plenty of examples that people have shown that it just makes up mesh terms. Yeah, or I tried it a
0: couple of weeks ago. It was completely wrong. I just tried it now, and uh, mm-hmm. the only Google login available to me was our Medlibs Miscellany account, so I was going to try it with chat. Chat GPT with Medlibs Miscellany, but it needed a birthday, and Tracy, we are not one-year-old yet.
1: No, we're not. <laughs> we have a long way to go before we're legal, even in dog years. I had to give
0: up. Do you think we'll have a birthday party for our one-year birthday?
1: I think we should. If nothing else, I think we should go have crab cakes.
0: I was just going to say, I think we should go have those super fudgy cookies. (laughs) (gasps) (laughs) For our one year birthday, we need to have crabs Mm -hmm. and Levain cookies
1: to eat. Yes. Not just... Let's be clear. We don't want crabs. (laughs) We I'm a Marylander. Crabs are. Just crabs for dinner. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not according to mesh. All right. All right. They still have not fixed that. They never will. Uh, yeah. So if you um, if you're listening and you've been with us for almost a year, we appreciate you. And uh, if you have ideas for topics that you'd like us to cover we would be up for doing that we have some ideas for the future i won't say anything just in case they don't materialize but we do hope to keep going we're both uh we both love doing this
1: and if you would like to join us and talk about these subjects we are open to that as well we are
0: would be so fantastic we
1: like having guests
0: fantastic
1: we have had a
0: year's worth not 12 but we have had Fantastic guests, and I'm looking forward to having more fantastic guests, so it's very exciting. Mm-hmm. I guess I shouldn't get too ahead of myself on our birthday. That's what, December or January? I can't remember. It was shortly before I broke my wrist, which would have been January 2022.
1: Let's see. Hold what on. a time to start Let me... a podcast. Let's
0: that see. might have been our second episode.
1: Our first episode was December 11th. <gasps>
0: Oh, yeah, our little little one that said, hey, guys, we're starting a podcast. December
1: 15th was episode two, which was Mesh.
0: Right, and we're all looking very forward to you doing another Mesh episode, so I hope you're ready. Let me
1: say that we've had questions come in about if I'm going to talk about Mesh, and I will, but I'm waiting to do that. I know that the Mesh, What's New in Mesh site has gone up and has terms that it's that are new and terms that are changing and a whole section on psychological stress that was revisited and i will talk about all of those things at some later point but i want to wait until it's available in the mesh browser as well as more official with the documentation so we can share yeah. that
0: okay that makes sense
1: when it happens so I don't want to I've been taking notes and there are a lot of things to talk about with new mesh but I don't want to talk about it just yet so I want to wait till it's a little more officially done fair and
0: fair so we'll, Tracy will have a, her annual mesh episode
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a scary thought
0: it's now annual This podcast was hosted by Carrie Price and Tracy Shields. It was mixed and edited by me, Carrie Price, with show notes by Tracy Shields. Our music is Nerdy and Quirky by Music Town on Pixabay. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.